The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts, Steven. And Kyle. How's it going, Kyle? It's going, man. It's midnight, and we have grievously mistimed our management again. So here we are. That <laughs> just is like uh, every other pretty day. typical. Just like every other day. Yeah. But I do have an interesting topic for us today. I looked it up and saw some stories about it, so I figured I'd share it with all of you. What are your thoughts on... Spirits communicating via electronics. Possible, not possible. I believe, we'll talk about it. I believe it's possible. <laughs> we'll talk about it after the business. First off, check us out at all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Oh, and TikTok. And come over, check us out, hang out, search a Paul's Guy podcast. Yeah, we have a Reddit thread Discord. page. A Discord, too, but that's kind of dead right now. But search on Paul's Guy Podcast, and you're going to find us pretty much everywhere because we're worldwide. We're like a plague. In our world. We're world famous. Yeah. That's all that really matters. Come over and share any interesting paranormal uh, articles you find, weird stories, memes, just fun shit, creating a cool little community over there. Come and add to it. If you have a personal paranormal encounter you'd like to share, Kyle knows the drill. Yeah, you're just going to type it out in story format or record yourself in your lovely voices in any way that you possibly can for the most part. And then you're going to email that to the podcast, which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. You're going to send it over. We're going to do our thing, listen to it, talk about it, air it. Boom. Hell yeah. Uh, we also have a Patreon set up if you would like to check that out and support us that way. Come and look at the tiers, see if there's anything you're interested in. We give out some extra little goodies, release extra content. Um, not as much as we should, but we're working on it. Bear with us. Yeah. Like I said, we're not good at time management. We also have a Venmo if you'd like to contribute to our monster fund. 
which is appreciative because we drink way too many of these motherfuckers. Uh, true story. But um, if uh, supporting us monetarily is out of the question, the best thing you could do is hop over and leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, it's really the best way to support us and help push us up through all the other podcasts, make us more visible for people that search uh, dope-ass weird shit. Yeah. We should be at the top of the list. If you leave us a five-star rating and review, I'll gladly shout you out, no matter what it says. If it's five stars, I'm going to read it as I'm going to show you today. So our five-star rating and review comes from Big Dick McGillicuddy. Hell yeah. That is not a mispronunciation. It's really Big Dick McGillicuddy. Good the title you. is Five Stars. Go Sabres. I pooped myself. Sick. <laughs> that sounds like he's sick. Sick. <laughs> he fucking shit himself. <laughs> but you know what? Support is support. Yeah, so we I'm going to take it, it. Thanks. We appreciate it. Big Dick McGillicuddy. Thanks, dog. Go Sabres. Um, yeah. Wow. From there. We're going to go right into it. Our personal encounter of the day. This one is a doozy. Me and Kyle just read through it, and it's another dope one. It is from Anonymous. Legit Anonymous. It's not like the Anonymous, but like from a person that would like to remain anonymous. Yeah. Like it's so a th- much throwaway. so that they even created a throwaway email, which is dope. Like that's some... That's some that's some next level paranoia shit. One shit, I dig it. Okay, from anonymous. Hello, not sure if this is the correct path to get it to the boys or not, but I really don't want my name or username mentioned or associated with this. This is a temporary email, so I won't be able to receive any responses to it. There's a lot of strange going on in the world, but there is still a lot of negative stigma that I'm worried may hurt my career if my name gets attached to it. When I was in third grade, roughly 1996, my family lived in a house in a very small town in. East Central Indiana. There were a lot of strange going-ons in that house. Dishes breaking and cabinets, knocks on the walls, items going missing and then reappearing days later. It eventually led to my mother having a nervous breakdown and having to be hospitalized for a few days. One night in my room that I shared with my brother, we had bunk beds. I woke up because of a loud humming noise. When I looked, my wall behind my bed was glowing blue and rippling like water. I climbed down and two beings about my height walked through the wall and started trying to pull me into the wall. They looked similar to grays, but they weren't gray. They were very light tan in color and had a head that was slightly lobed with what looked to be freckles between them. Uh, They pulled on me until I was eventually grabbing onto my bedpost and they were pulling on my legs. The next thing I remember is being in my bed, very angry and crying and hitting the wall until my hands were bloody. My mom came in and calmed me down. She told me it was just a dream and I thought it for years. Until I saw one of those unsolved mystery type shows where a woman described aliens coming through the wall and it was glowing blue and rippling like water. Um, I had my first panic attack that day. Now, I believe this was not a dream. I don't know what happened in between them pulling on me and me being back in my bed, and I really don't want to know. I think it's important for us to share our stories. Earlier in life, I would talk about this and was fairly open about it, but was ridiculed by friends and family until I just didn't talk about it anymore. The more we share, the more we realize we aren't alone. Thank you guys for doing what you do. Well, first off, thank you, Anonymous, for taking the time to send us this story. Um, 
uh, everything aside, this is why we started this podcast to give people a platform to bring their stories to the forefront and have have a place to come and not be ridiculed and yeah. not be criticized because shit is happening out there. Everyone has had experiences and everyone should be able to share those with other like-minded individuals without fear of being like singled out. You know what For I mean? Sure. And a lot of that goes on, which yeah. is sad. It is just and, uh, people being dicks. Yeah, a lot of people have to deal with this kind of shit on their own. And as you can tell from the story, like, do you, this is shit you shouldn't have to deal with on your own. Like, you don't even know what the fuck is going no, on. No, 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 no. And now on to the story, now that I'm off my soapbox here. Um, holy shit. It is crazy. Like, I am always in the camp that all, all of this paranormal, supernatural shit seems in my brain to stem from possible alternate universes. Oh, yeah. I, feel like everything, I mean, I, I believe in the possibility of that, for sure. And it's almost like this... That's what we... And it's this a, blue... What we perceive. This blue curtain, so to speak, is a veil between... The worlds. These Or universes, these universes. Or whatever, yeah. And having the beings walk out and... The way you described the them pulling on your legs and you hanging by the post, that is fucked up. Yeah, and the description of them reminds me of uh, the Hellier Goblins. Yeah, if they like were, to a T. It's it a yeah. I wouldn't. Man, it would it would be a terrifying experience to say the least. I couldn't imagine two little fuckers trying to drag me away off my bed. Like that would be terrifying. It really would not to. I mean, just and you, you, you hear stories of the humming from a lot of different accounts as well. Oh, and it's it's becoming more prevalent. I don't know if it if it's being if there's more of it going on or if there's more of an avenue to share it with now that social media is out. But people all all over the world are talking about it. Right. Um. Another thing, like it almost does. Like to me, my brain goes immediately to a portal. Uh, yeah, the thinning of the veil and these things come through, especially with all the stuff you said that was happening, the dishes breaking, cabinets knocking and everything and stuff going missing and reappearing. And dude, it sounds like Skinwalker. Oh, for sure. And that that is like tier one portal shit, you know, right yeah. there. Yeah, because and and you led, have a little bit of everything out there. Yeah, it was so much that it led to your mom having a nervous breakdown and then in turn you having a panic attack after you heard about it like that's that's the only thing i can think of well there's the description of it itself you know the the rippling blue curtain ob, you know water object on the wall it's, i mean it sounds like straight up stargate shit yeah and i don't want to keep like milking this whole egress thing but we have been in a constant contact with them and we've heard other people being in contact with them and a specific person was recently just asked about a what they know about the blue curtain just so happened to be about the same time we got this email that's why i put it to the forefront because it sounds an awful lot like a blue curtain to shay you know so i know this email is a throwaway and i can't respond to it but um i'm be kind of interested in 
if the house is still there, what happened to it? If it's still standing, dude, I would go and check it out. Honestly, I'd be down to take a road trip and see what the hell's going on. Yeah. Indiana's not that far away, really. No, it's not. But yeah, if you listen to this episode and you hear your story, uh, feel free to email us again. Your anonymity's at the forefront. Don't worry about uh, any anything like that going on. We're just curious as to the location. It would be interesting to get in contact with who's ever living there now, seeing if they're having the same weird shit going on. So oh, That would be fucking really creepy. Yeah. Thank you for submitting your story. And like I said, we want to be that platform for you guys to be able to get your stories out there, get other thoughts on it without having to um, worried about being worried about the ridicule and shit because it just doesn't fly around hollow sky. <laughs> but um, <laughs> almost a rapper. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for yeah, submitting we, your story. We appreciate it a lot. From there, we are going into my little episode I put together here. Let's go. Can people that have passed away communicate via electronic devices, also known as electronic spirit communication, which is, if any of you have watched any ghost hunting show, YouTube channel, anything within the last 10 years, you've heard of spirit boxes, yeah. and you've heard of the Oculus. Right. Which is what they use. And it's basically just using these radio forms to communicate with the spirit. The spirit box will scan through channels and you'll ask it questions. And the spirit use these channels to pick up on words that are flashing through the radio waves and they will communicate that way. The Oculus, on the other hand, produces its own words. I don't even know how the fuck that works, but it's weird. Yeah. And expensive because I thought about getting one and it's probably out of our price range at this yeah. moment in time. I haven't looked into them, so I don't know the price on I do have a spirit box. Sarah got me a spirit box for Sick. my birthday. Me and Kyle just had it out, but I was too scared to ask it any questions in my house. So if somebody has a haunted house they'd like us to go in spirit box, hit us up. We're down. Yeah. I'll roll that motherfucker in there like a flashbang, and I'll stay on the other side <laughs> and yell questions into the room. Kyle, Kyle will be here in my house, and I'll yeah. be there asking questions. I'll be on the phone, be like, <laughs> "Steve, what's happening?" He's remote learning the spirit box. That's right. Um, I'm gonna start it off with a story that I've probably shared on here before, but it's a story that my mom had, which kind of um, links into what I'm gonna get into here. My mom had an aunt, which is also my aunt, interestingly enough, that she was close to, and uh, she passed away. Well, not long after that, we get home from buying groceries or something. I can't remember. I was young, but there was a message on our answering machine. For those of you that are super young and don't know what an answering machine is, it is a machine tied into your phone line that takes voicemails, essentially, but it records them on a tape, cassette tape. So mom's checking. There was three messages, one from the neighbor, and then there was one in the middle, which was clearly the aunt that had passed away. My mom's name's Robin. All she said is, Robin, I'm all right. And then didn't it cut off. And then it was another message further into the day from right. my grandma or some shit like that. So it visibly shook my mom up. She rewound the tape and played it again. And my aunt had a very distinct voice. She'd smoked forever. She had just a really gruff, like, yeah. old smoker's voice. Played it again. And I was even young enough 
but not too young to know that like, holy shit, that's ain't such and such. Right. You know? So my mom called my grandma over and she played it for her. I think that's how the story goes. And my grandma was like, she was visibly shaken too. She was like, holy shit, you know, how, how could this happen? So they keep playing through it. And finally my, they call my grandpa over. And by the time he gets there, my mom goes to play it again. And the message is gone. The message from earlier in the day and the message from later in the day are still there. But the message in between had somehow gotten erased from the tape. Could it have been an older message that somehow got jumbled into the recordings? Possibly. There's always some sort of explanation for this stuff. I mean, I guess I could, if you really wanted to play devil's advocate to it, I guess you could. Yeah. Still, like, it was almost like she was just saying her final goodbye, just letting everybody know, hey, I'm okay. Because, I mean, even... Even the the context of the message is weird enough to make you make you double take. Absolutely. So that always had my interest, and I'd seen a couple stories that were vaguely similar, so I thought I'd put them out there. The first one I'm going to talk about is the story of Charles Peck. Everybody called him Chuck. So Chuck was 49 year or Chuck was a 49 year old man that worked for Delta Airlines. He was in the process of possibly leaving his job in Salt Lake City International Airport for a job closer to his fiance Andrea Katz at the Van Nuys Airport in Los Angeles. The couple were ready to take their relationship to the next level and get married, but living in different states always posed an issue. So Chuck had scheduled an interview in Los Angeles, which he decided to travel to via train. As Andrea headed to the train station, she heard horrible news. That the train truck, the train Chuck was traveling on, had been involved in a horrible derailment, with fatalities confirmed. Andrea's heart sank. Chuck was a passenger on a MetroLink commuter train traveling from or traveling through the San Fernando Valley in California, September 12, 2008. It collided head-on with a Union Pacific freight train at 83 miles per hour, when the conductor failed to stop at a red light. The impact was absolutely devastating. And of the 225 people on board the Metrolink, at least 25 died and more than 100 were seriously injured. The engineer sitting at the front of the train was killed instantly. The freight train carrying only three members, which all survived, but it was almost totally demolished by the accident. The disaster later became known as the Chatworth's train crash and is still considered the worst commuter train accident in the history of California. Andrea was absolutely panicked because she knew... Chuck was on the Metrolink. Her, pan- her panic subsided when she heard her cell phone go off and Chuck's name flashed up on the screen, basically confirming that Chuck was alive. Unfortunately, when she picked up, all she could hear was static. She wrote it off as just maybe a cell phone issue with the influx of calls due to the accident. People probably flooding the lines. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to get a hold of My loved ones. loved ones. Yeah. The calls didn't end there. After the accident, Chuck's phone calls made calls. Or Chuck's phone made calls to his son, which he had from a previous marriage, his sister, his brother, and a stepmom. Over 35 calls were made from Chuck's phone in the 11 hours that followed the accident, with the last and final call being received at 3:28 a.m. With every call that was received, it was a new glimmer of hope that he was okay. You know, they hadn't made ex- one-on-one contact with him. But they were still getting calls. Like, he was trying to contact them to let them know he was okay. 
uh, Andrea's family and, or Andrea and Chuck's family use these calls as an opportunity to try to communicate with him and pass messages of encouragement. You know, we're going to get you out of there. You're going to be okay. Even though they couldn't hear anything back. They were just. Yeah. You could have chalked it up. Maybe his phone got broke. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever. But he was still trying to get a hold of them. Yeah. Um, with every call that they would report to the rescue workers, they would just like ignite a firestorm that they were ready to go. Like we 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 possibly have someone in this train that's alive because Chuck wasn't accounted for in the survivors. That's he wasn't interesting. out of the train. No one could pinpoint him out of the train, but they were still getting calls from his cell phone in the train. Yeah, so it definitely played to the, like, okay, we definitely have somebody trapped inside here. We need to go find them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally could see that situation. And every call would, like I said, would light a fire, and they would tirelessly dig through this rubble. And eventually they got to the parts of the train where it was clearly that no one was going to survive. But every time another call came in, they would just keep fighting through it. Uh, when it got close to the last time, they decided to try to triangulate the phone's location within the train wreck, which apparently they could do. But an hour after the final call was, re- call was received at 3.28 a.m., they found Chuck's body. He had died on impact almost 12 hours earlier. According to several investigative forums and sites, coroners could find absolutely no sign that Chuck had survived any amount of time after the initial impact all but confirming that the calls were made while he was not alive. Uh, The first thing that people are going to say is that the phone was damaged and placing calls by itself. Chances are if he had his phone with him, it was severely damaged and may have malfunctioned. Uh, Could these be recent contacts that was just going off? Could it have been speed dial? I don't don't really see that being a possibility myself. mishap. Although not saying it can't happen, I just haven't really heard of it and I don't buy into it. So, although they found Chuck's body, they were never able to locate the phone. To this day, they still have not found Chuck's cell phone. It was possible that it was completely destroyed in the accident, but it doesn't account for why it kept making calls almost 12 hours after the trains had collided. And it was only making calls to people seemingly closest to him. Right. It wasn't calling. That's fucking strange. Pizza Hut, you know. Yeah. It wasn't. So maybe it was a way of Chuck calming his loved ones, giving them hope through oh, the night, yeah. so they're not worried about it. Um, maybe he was just saying goodbye. It's weird that his phone wasn't discovered. I jotted jotted this down. Not only because calls were being made, but the rescuers were able to triangulate the source of the calls directly to Chuck's body. That is fucking weird. Meaning the phone still had to be intact and have power sure. and make calls, but it was never found. That is fucking strange. If his body was intact enough to survive, you would think that the phone would be intact enough. Yeah. You know, maybe he... Well, they could literally triangulate it, so... Yeah. Maybe he took it Maybe he took it to the afterlife with him, you know? When people see ghosts, they're wearing clothes, 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 wearing clothes that they were wearing, you know? Yeah, it, like, the way it's, it's described reminds me of, like, almost like, like, an X-File episode or something where, like, in this instance, per se, that, like, when that collision happened and he passed, like, his energy... 
somehow got trapped inside the cell phone. Like I just picture him inside the cell phone, trying to contact someone. Yeah, like ha- where, like where the fuck am I? Like he, he may even not even know where he's at. Yeah. He's just like, where the fuck am I? It just, I don't know. It's just what I picture. But in the theory, in this case, you know, I mean, they say that the soul or or whatever we got going on that that we're just pure energy. So it could be energy could manipulate energy. Hence, yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, especially if it was, I guess, sentient and it and knew what it was doing and what it was trying to do, you know? Yep. Because I think it's possible, sure. Yeah, especially with, like, like ghost communication techniques nowadays. It's all, ba- it's almost basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. The fucking thing is, where the fuck did the cell phone go? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know, dude. I actually found an interview clip from Andrea Katz, Chuck's fiance, that I'm just going to play for you guys right now. Hey, Hollow Colt. The weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tacovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tacovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots, and their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. She says they might have looked like an odd couple. Andrea Katz is six foot one. Chuck Peck was five seven. But she says they were made for each other. They've been friends for 20 years, and after his divorce a couple of years ago, their friendship turned to love. She was on her way to pick him up from the Metrolink station when she heard the news on the radio. She knew immediately he was on that train. But was he alive? And then they got the first call. It was to Chuck's son in Utah. And he said, my dad just called me. And I said, what did he say? Where is he? Is he okay? It, it, he didn't say anything. The phone rang and it said, Dad. 
They watched the tormenting search for survivors, certain that Chuck was alive and trapped in the wreckage. Between Chuck's kids and other family members, about three dozen calls were made from Chuck's phone. But there was only static and silence. And then almost five hours after the collision, at 9.08, Andrea got a call. And we were yelling in the phone, you know, hang in there, baby. They, you know, we're going to get you out. You're going to be okay. It was the hope they needed. And when the rescue efforts were about to turn to recovery, there was another call. And that prompted search crews to trace it. It was coming from the first train. So they went back in one last time. And they were so excited. They had this incredible adrenaline rush at the thought that they could possibly go find another survivor. And we gave her a description, and they spent the next couple of hours looking for him. And um, they did end up finding him, and they said that he had died immediately on impact, and there was no way he could have been calling us. She believes those phone calls got them through the night and helped them find Chuck's body. The intellectual side of my brain thinks, gee, it was a computer malfunction, and the emotional side of my brain it was just Chuck letting us know that he knew that we were scared for him and letting us have hope. And she's also comforted by the fact that they were happy, ready to get married and start their new life together. She believes he was riding that train with a smile. He died instantly and he didn't suffer. And when you love somebody, you couldn't ask for a better way for them to leave this life just happy and excited and didn't see it coming. And they may never find out exactly how those calls were made because Chuck's phone was never found. Reporting from News Center, Lynette Romero, back to you in the studio. Yeah, I found that little news clip from uh, KTLA5, I believe. It's on YouTube. If you guys want to check that out, I just thought I'd share it with you, <clears throat> kind of confirming the story a little bit there. Uh, let us know what you guys think about that one. Possible, not possible, malfunction. I think Where's everyone staying? Yeah, it's a little, like I said, for it to call his loved ones, his son, his fiance, his brother. Yeah, like you said, everybody close. And yeah, one of nice. my favorite fiction authors also believes that he had a call from what he believes is his deceased mother. So, in September of 1988, author Dean Koontz was working in his office when his phone began to ring. As he answered the receiver, he heard a weak, faraway voice on the other end. The voice seemed to have a warning for him. Please be careful. Please be careful. Please be careful. Uh, the person did not state their identity when Kuntz asked. Instead, they just repeated their warning an additional three times before the line went silent. Uh, Kuntz sat, the, sat there in shock when he realized that the voice, weary on the other end, sounded just like his mother except that his mother had died nearly 20 years ago. Kuhn's office number was unlisted. This means the number is private and cannot be looked up. They're not listed in phone books. 1988, there wasn't really an internet. You couldn't look it up. Touche. Keep pranksters and telemarketers from contacting people that they don't know. Kuhn's didn't have a listed phone number, uh, which makes it that much more interesting, obviously. Uh, it could be the case of a person calling the wrong number, but that seems fairly not the case. I mean, she said, please be careful. Yeah. Um, the case gets a little weirder two days later. Two days after Kuntz received his strange phone call, the retirement home where his father was staying contacted him. 
His dad, Ray, would often cause problems at the facility, and the problems were escalating. Uh, he became violent, punching other residents, attacking nurses, to the so much to the point that the nurses were concerned enough that they asked Koontz to come and talk to his dad and try to calm him down. When he arrived at Ray's room, his father immediately grabbed a knife he had been hiding in a drawer and attempted to stab him. That fucking sucks. He had to fight his father off and eventually would be able to get the knife away from him. Police arrived and took his dad to a psychiatric facility, which clearly was probably the best place for him. Uh, oddly enough, it wasn't the first time Koontz's dad tried to stab him, but it almost feels like justifiable that his mom would warn him about almost getting oh, stabbed yeah. by his dad. That's you true. Know, Please yeah. be careful. Please be careful. And then this happened. Uh, Koontz took a long time before he even felt comfortable sharing it. But he eventually did in a book called The Beautiful Death, The Art of Cemetery. It's a like a photography book. You see all these beautiful cemetery photos of tombstones and headstones and cemeteries and shit. Dean Koontz wrote the introduction and he talked about his actual encounter. So I looked it up on Amazon. You guys can pick that up if you're interested in it. It's called The Beautiful Death, The Art of the Cemetery. Not very expensive. Could be a cool little coffee table piece. Apparently calls from beyond the grave are fairly common phenomenon, even leading to a study conducted in the 70s and a book being published, Phone Calls from the Dead. Also look this up because I thought it'd be dope, you know, research material. Yeah, sure. Not this dope, though. Hardcover on Amazon falls in at the reasonable price of $987. Whoa. If anyone wants to purchase that for your homies and send it our way, we would be... Greatly appreciative. Uh, yeah. Not really. Don't spend $1,000 on a book. Please. Please and thank you. Yeah, please don't do that. So, yeah, that was another little tidbit I found on uh, phone calls. It's it's kind of awesome seeing famous people also kind of leading credence to it, you know? Yeah. And I sure. know Koontz is a horror writer and all this other shit. Like, ghost stories kind of his forte. But, like you said, it took him a long time to even talk about it. So, it's weird. Um, another one I have is the Jack Freeze case because phone calls aren't the only way apparently spirits use to communicate. They use the microwave? Yes, you nailed it. <laughs> That's fucked up. In June 2011, 32-year-old Jack Freeze passed away suddenly from heart arrhythmia, something that occurs when electrical impulses in the heart just stop working the way they're supposed to. The illness can hit with no symptoms, and they said Freeze probably didn't even know he had a time bomb in his chest. He left a mother, many friends, and extended family who struggled with him dying suddenly. Uh, one of his best friends did an interview in 2012 with the BBC. His name was Tim Hart. He described Freeze as his right-hand man. He said the two were inseparable since the age of 17, Five months after Freese's passing, just as his life was getting back to normal, Freese, or someone pretending to be Freese, started sending emails to his friends and family. Huh. Uh, all the messages that Jack sent after his passing were really strange and personal and specific which means the person sending them had to have knowledge of his personal conversations from when he was alive. 
One message that was sent to Hart included an inside joke that the two had about cleaning his attic. Hart explained that one night as he was scrolling through his phone, he received a message from Freese. The subject line was, I'm watching. And it read, did you hear me? I'm at your house. Clean your fucking attic. <laughs> Dude, that is eerily specific. Yeah. I would probably shit myself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, because like, especially like with the inside joke and then and if your attic really legitimately needs clean that's even fucking creepier it's like wait a minute <laughs> this guy's been in my house yeah Hart said that before the two had joked about how dirty his attic is with Jack saying that he was going to clean it Hart insists that they were the only people that knew about the conversation so playing devil's advocate here if it wasn't Freeze from beyond the grave it's somebody emailing you that has to know about your attic and could possibly be in your fucking attic. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's not a good even, situation. I'd rather have it be a ghost. Well, yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Um, he was a good guy in death, just as much as he was in life. Uh, he was worried about the people who were close to him. Uh, after his cousin Jimmy McGraw broke his ankle, McGraw was laid up for a week when he received his first email from Jack. Normally it wouldn't be weird, but Freese's funeral services had been months prior, so he was already dead. The November email read, Hey Jim, how you doing? I knew you were going to break your ankle. I tried to warn you. You got to be careful. So strange. Yeah. And you would think like at this point, if it was like a ploy, like somebody playing a joke on the first dude, why would it resume the mantle later on? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if it was one person playing pranks... Why carry it on? To yeah, yeah, that's what I'm family. saying. Like, a, a month later, months later, whatever it was, and they're like, oh, this guy broke his ankle. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with him now. Yeah. Of course, one of the possible explanations is that someone had hacked into his email. You know, logged into his password. Someone knew his password. I suppose. But everyone said that nobody was aware of his passwords. And even if they did, they're 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 all pretty much on the same page that they they don't think anybody in their group would would go to that extent to fake being Jack. Well, that's kind of a dick thing to do, too. Yeah, especially if you just lost someone you love. That's what I mean. Like that's kind of a shitty thing to do. Come around months later. Um where else are we here? But everybody that had interacted with Jack kind of took it as a positive thing. They all kind of, you know, him trying to still be connected, still trying to look out for his family, trying to get them to move on and just feel better about stuff. And if it was somebody hacking, nobody really could find any motivation if it was a stranger that would hack in. Like, why... Why would they hack into this dead guy's account and just email his family? Right. Yeah. Um, Not all of his emails were able to get through to his friends and family. His cousin McGraw claims that in an email that Freese or someone pretending to be Freese sent him about his ankle that the correspondents asked him to pass along to a message to Freese's other cousin, Rock. The email from Freese said that he couldn't get through and that the email didn't work. Um, I got a picture of the text message that was actually sent. It also said, tell Rock, great song. One of the strangest aspects of Freese's relationship with his cousin 
Frank, a.k.a. Rock, uh, once the BBC began running video stories about Freeze's email, Frank began leaving YouTube comments about how Freeze was visiting him in his dream. Frank explains that the message sent to McGraw referenced a song Frank had tried to create after Freeze's passing. He claims that his cousin then visited him in his dreams and helped him complete the tribute song. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that one... For me, that one would be the most sus of all, everything that's been presented so far. Only because, to play the devil's advocate, you could legitimately have made that up. Mm -hmm. If you really wanted to. I'm not saying he did, but that would be the most plausible thing in my eyes to have fabricated. Yeah, and... (laughs) How everyone's not really looking to the nefarious side kind of cast doubt on them. Because, like, like Tim, the friend, is quoted in saying, if somebody's joking around, I don't care because I take it whatever way I want. His mom also was, like, pretty ecstatic about receiving the emails. She said, I thought they were fantastic. They were great. Think what you want about it or just accept it as a gift. So this kind of shed even more negative light on her that maybe she was the one logging in and sending these emails from his account. Because, I mean, again, you're saying that your dead son, it's fantastic that your dead son's ghost is communicating via email. Kind of a weird verbiage. Yeah, and then the fact that they're like basically saying, I don't even give a shit if it's fake. Like, I'm going to take it how I want to take it. Yeah, Which is that he's really... Yeah, that's what I mean. Like if somebody if, was faking it. If somebody was fucking, yeah, especially if it was my kid, I'd be like, I don't want to say what the, the feelings that would be running through my head would be because they, they wouldn't be good ones. I can tell you that much now. Yeah. Um, she even goes on after saying they're fantastic and great. She goes on to be quoted to say, they made people happy. They upset some people, but to me, that's keeping people talking about him. Which, I mean, it's almost, mm, it's it's almost got a, sus. a tint of ulterior motive yeah, there. Yeah. But maybe not. You know, people deal with grief no, in yeah, different and ways. That, and then not to mention, like, to, to walk a mile in her shoes. I mean, imagine how elated you would be to be to think that, you know, I did lose my son. But in a, in a manner of speaking, I didn't lose him because he's actually legitimately here. He does randomly have the ability to, to communicate with me. I don't give a shit if you believe in it or not. Yeah. You know, it, that's irrelevant to me because I'm taking it how I need to take it. Yeah. And this is helping me. So she also stood firm on her stance that she was innocent, said she never had any of her son's emails. And she wouldn't do that in the first place. You know, she wouldn't push, try to push that narrative. I could also see the likelihood of her having all of his email passwords is probably rather small yeah my mom doesn't have my password that's what i'm saying like the, the you i don't see why you would give it to your mother so yeah. um uh, a couple of his friends actually tried to email him back but never got any responses hmm. so if it was someone wanting to again push that narrative you would think they'd be apt to respond yeah to, for to sure further the whole encounter right yeah exactly there are a few uh, possible explanations. They do have post-mortem email services, which are a bunch of services that let you email your friends and family once you've passed on. There's one called Dead Man Switch. It allows users to take care of any final business they had uh, <laughs> after they pass. Clever name. 
the thing is you have to set these websites up before you die right. to send messages to your family in advance, which makes the email he sent about his cousin breaking his ankle yeah, impossible. all the more likely to be sent by a ghost. Right, yeah, exactly. So it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's bizarre. And this wasn't the first case of, of the email incident. Uh, Brad Steger, who is an investigative author, he's been on Art Bell all the time. Uh, in 1999, he was quoted in an article that quoted his book, Touched by, the Heavens, Touched by Heaven's Light. Uh, he's the one that coined the phrase electronic spirit communication. I personally like this phrase. I second it. Uh, necrotechnology. That's a good one. That sounds like a band name. Necrotech. Hell yes. Um, but the two cases that uh, Steger had found on electronic spirit communication or necrotechnology, just because I like saying it. Um, and quote, a case in point is that of a graduate student in biology who received an email from a favorite professor who'd recently passed. The student had been laboring on a complex experiment under the guidance of the professor, asserted Steger, but he'd become unsure of his ability to complete the work alone. He was ready to throw in the towel and give up his grant when a subjectless email appeared on his home computer. It contained a message from the professor assuring him that he was on the right course with knowledge of the grad student's work that could only have come from his kindly mentor. In an interesting twist, although the grad student had reported the message uh, to a paranormal researcher, he never quite believed his own experience and always looked for a scientific explanation. Indeed, he had no prior interest in the paranormal nor belief in the afterlife, which made his claim more intriguing to the investigator. In another case, a London art gallery owner received an email from a dead artist, a longtime enemy of hers. The gallery owner had been running or had a running battle with the struggling artist for years, recounted Steger. After being rejected by her repeatedly over the years, the frustrated artist died suddenly of massive heart failure. The gallery owner was devastated, fearing that he died from a broken heart caused by her refusal to sell his work. But one morning, an email under the artist's name appeared. Shaking with anxiety, the gallery owner read it twice. The artist's message absolved her of any role in his death. He had died from a... Uh, Congenital problem, not the stress of rejection. Apparently, he needed closure in the matter so he could move on to the spirit world just as much as she needed it. Um, this was this article was written in '99, so that's early ass internet years. Yeah, it is. You know, so the internet sure. was still kind Very of questionable young. back questionable back then, because they they talk about how in the future more of this stuff would happen, you know, if the spirits are using it to talk, which right. is odd because it does. Um, could these all be hoaxes? Yes, I guess, you know. If you really tried, yeah. There's possibilities, especially in the email one, could be a hoax. The phone calls from Chuck, I don't think that's a hoax. I don't either. That can't be a hoax. Could it be a malfunction? Possibly. Yeah, but you, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't if it's know. enough fucking force for him to die on impact, you'd think that phone is probably pretty boogered up. Yeah, I did forget to read my little ender here for Chuck's uh, accident. In an ironic twist, it was found that the conductor of the Metrolink was texting on his phone and missed a red light switch that night causing the accident. The very technology that took Chuck's life would help lead rescuers to his body. Well, that's fucking strange. 
It's weird, man. So, note to self for everybody out there: don't text and drive trains, anything, cars. That is a fucking pet peeve of mine. I'm don't terrible text and drive. It's fucking annoying. I have this weird, like, self-rule, which is just absolute bullshit because I won't do it while my boys are in the car with me. When we're driving around, I won't do it. Yeah, you're but, putting their lives in, yeah, in jeopardy. Yeah, when I'm by myself, which could equally affect them if something happens to me. I'm just like, oh, whatever. Here we go. I try I try to be conscious of it and not do it. I... I'm don't don't get me wrong. Don't I do it from time to time, but I usually like I've done it to you. I'll be like driving, yeah, and then you know that I probably am not going to respond very well for. The and with me, amount of time with me, probably ninety five percent of the time isn't even texting or anything. It's probably flipping through songs, yeah, on my Pandora or on my Apple Music, right. just doing dumb shit that I shouldn't even be doing. Yeah, my, you know my my. Fear with it it's is not texting per se. Fucking hitting a little kid, man. Yeah, that'd be awful. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, don't text and drive. Whether it's fucking airplanes, uh, <laughs> fucking damn. trains, whatever. Speaking of which, space station. I, I got a fucking story for you guys. It scared the fucking shit out of me. So <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah, we're changing way fucking fast well, gears here. Switching <clears throat> lanes while so, we're not texting. So there's there's been a lot of weird shit going on, right? Well, and it, it's just, it was it completely me being fucking paranoid is all it is. But here I am, I'm, I, I get off work, I'm going to pick my kid up, and I'm going down McCluskey Road, and all of a sudden, like right in front of me, now keep in mind, I don't know, I'm never in, in real life seen like what a, a Predator drone looks like, right? I don't, so I, I have no reference of size or any of that nature. And so I'm driving and now I'm on a small back country road. And I'm not kidding you. Like it was probably a mile up the road. There's a fucking huge goddamn plane, super fucking low to the ground. And it's pointed right at me. And I'm like, what? in the actual fuck is that? Cause I could clearly tell it was a plane of some type and it wasn't like the size of a 747 or something, but it had to have been at least like a, a private jet style plane. And I mean, I'm not kidding you. It looked like it was aimed right the, at me. Like it was looking right at me and I'm like, am I about to get fucking shot by a drone right now? Is this seriously what's going to fucking happen? I'm like, or is there's or is this a plane that's getting ready to crash? Because it was it was ridiculously low for the size of that plane and where you know where it's located, there's literally nothing around to land that in except for fields or on the fucking road that I was driving on. But like the first thought in my head was like, Am I about to get fucking blown up right now? Is this seriously how like, how, what did I do? This is how Egress Industries are going to make itself known. They're going to just drone attack like, you. What the fuck, man? <laughs> and then, what? I oddly enough, like I turn on to the, to the road where my kid's at. I'm trying to look back at it, and it's completely gone at this point. You don't know what happened to it? No. You lost the plane. I lost the plane. 
Like I expected to be able to look back in the sky, like maybe it was just coming down and going back up, and it was completely fucking gone in less than two minutes. Clearly, it didn't crash. Yeah, we didn't hear about it. See the giant fireball and smoking shit. There were, you know, after the drone thing got out of my head, like I, I was seriously wondering if there was a plane getting ready to crash. And I, I, just, I kept looking over that direction as that I'm approaching weird. approaching the babysitter's house, looking what and looking and looking fuck? for like smoke or something like that, and it just completely it was gone, and not even in the sky anywhere. It was it's so weird, man. Super that is weird. super weird. But there's been a lot of weird things going on, like the fucking hair braiding thing with the horses, and that is true. You guys blew that up. Like, it's just a lot. There's a lot of weird shit. Which man. we may go out there to uh, the guy that submitted it to us, uh, kind of gave us the green light to come out and look around. Um, in the process of purchasing some cameras to record some footage of us going out and checking out some creepy places. So, going to wait till that gets in the works and we may go out there and look around for some Bigfoot prints or some. Hell yes. Some fey prints or whatever was braiding these horses' hair gonna be dope there's also some some locations around that i want to go check out like acid bridge and the seven gates to hell kind of a lot of local folklore around here that we like to go and check out we thought about doing some random nodding on camera just make some more youtube content for everybody see what happens yeah i was just thinking here um erica the one who submitted the the hair braiding story. She told me her story and, and maybe on the next episode, I'll, I'll share what she talked to me about, but I do have a side note to tell you about that. I completely fucking forgot about. And I don't know that if I can talk about it on here, so I'm not going to, but it's really fucked. <laughs> Great. I, I love when, I love when these tangents click off in his brain and it's just yeah. like, cause it's here. It is one o'clock and like Kyle's, Kyle's kind of winding down. I'm coming off midnight shift. So this is just like, Lunchtime for me. <laughs> Kyle's winding down, and you just see him perk up like, oh, shit. I forgot. So he's going to tell me something that you guys don't get to listen to. Yeah, so. I don't know if I have permission, and ha. I'm pretty... We're, well, we are pretty big on protecting... Anonymity. Yeah, and just people's... Like, we don't want to disrespect people and piss people off, so... Because that's not what we're about. That's no, not cool. So I hope you guys liked the little few stories I put together. Kind of weird. If anybody has any... Uh, experiences like this you've had a deceased loved one i feel like somebody out there you. somebody out there listening to us probably has one of these stories. yeah hit us up Guarantee shoot us an email send us a voice message let us know because it's i mean all avenues kind of point to that they can use technology to communicate which I necro technology. Like I said, man, energy manipulating energy is not that Call fucking far fetched. Call this episode necro technology. I'm going to, without a doubt. All right, so that's it. Check us out at all our social medias: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Come and hang out with us. Until next time, stay safe, stay weird, and do not fly private jets while texting at Kyle's car. Touche.